Well, I know we haven't been able to meet together for several weeks now, except in our homes. But one thing I want you to understand, this is how much of the Christian world has to meet week in and week out. Because if they were to meet in public like we do here at Northport Baptist Church, they could be arrested, jailed, or even worse. So many of the mission trips that I go on or to places like this. Many years ago, I felt called to go to missionaries and to go to churches that needed just to hear the hope and the promises of the Bible because they were living in persecuted areas of the world. One trip that I'll never forget was to an area just like this. It was a trip to Southeast Asia, and I traveled there specifically just to preach in house churches. And I'll never forget one house church that I went to on that trip. The morning we were going to this house church, it was a brand new house church, only a few weeks old. The missionary I was working with came to the hotel where I was staying, and we were eating breakfast together. And he asked for my cell phone, and so I handed him my cell phone, and he actually took my cell phone and he put it in an insulated bag. And I asked him what he was doing, and he said, well, I need to put it in the bag because they can track us by your cell phone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why is he doing this? I mean, I'm no one that they're even looking at. And then he asked me, he said, have you called anyone since you've been in country? And I said, well, yeah, I called my wife actually last night. And he said, they know where you are. And sure enough, as we walked out of the hotel, we were getting into the car we were going to take to the house church. And right across the street, he pointed at a vehicle, a car. And it was the local officials. And they were there to follow us to try to find out where some of these churches were meeting. And so we got into the car we were traveling in, and we drove for over an hour. Now, the house church we were going to was only about 10 minutes from my hotel, but we drove an hour in and out of the city trying to lose this government car so they couldn't follow us. Eventually, we lost them, and we were able to go to this little apartment building where this house church was meeting. And as we walked up concrete stairs, I remember going to the fourth floor of an apartment building, and we knocked on the outside of a metal door, and someone came to the door, and they looked through a peephole, and they saw the missionary, and they let us in. And then we walked all the way back to the back bedroom of this apartment. And we knocked on the door. It was closed as well. And when they opened the door, all I could hear was singing. I could hear worship coming from this bedroom. And so we walked into this bedroom, and there were 50 people in this bedroom, about a 10 by 10, 12 by 12 room, very small. But there were 50 new believers in that room and they were worshiping Jesus Christ. And I could see the love for Jesus on their face as they worshiped him. And I heard their voices. And then they sat down on these little wooden crates and they listened to the word of God taught. The missionary taught them how to evangelize their family and their friends and tell them about Jesus Christ. And then it was my turn. And the missionary asked me to stand up and from America to share with these new believers just a word of hope and encouragement. And as I stood there, I was literally at a loss for words because it shouldn't have been me preaching to them, but them preaching to me because I needed their love for Christ. I needed their zeal for the word of God. And so I spoke the best I knew how. But I walked away from that tiny apartment knowing that I had truly worshipped the Lord. As we look to the book of Revelation, 
my prayer and my heart for you is that you gain a zeal for the word of God. Because you're going to see that Revelation is not some book thrown at the end of the Bible just to make everything make sense. No, you're going to see that the book of Revelation ties the entire word of God together because it is the climax of God's redemptive plan, not only for you, but for this world. So I know you're meeting in your home, but the presence of God is there. And he wants to speak to you through his word as we see God's plan for redemption unfold. And think about this. For whatever reason, God has chosen you to live in this day, the last days, I believe, just before the return of Jesus Christ. He didn't choose Peter or Paul. He didn't choose Mary. He chose you, and he chose you for a purpose, to live in this day, to glorify his name, and make the name of Jesus known. So as we read his word, I hope you will understand that and I hope you will fall in love with it and I hope you will find your purpose for living and living for the glory of God. So today as we look to God's word and as we turn to the book of Revelation, I want to give you as we start out just an outline for how the book of Revelation unfolds and how we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. So what we're going to do, we're going to look there in Revelation 1, and we're going to read just a few verses down in Revelation 1.19, because John here, the Apostle John, is writing this, and he's actually writing the words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus tells the Apostle John to write down here in verse 19. Look at it. This is what he says. He says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. So right there in that verse, Revelation 1.19, we get the outline for the entire book of Revelation. What John is going to do is he's going to write down what he has seen. And what he has seen is he has seen Jesus Christ. This is all Revelation chapter 1. That is what we're going to read more about today as we read Revelation 1. We're going to write down what, or we're going to see what John has saw as he saw Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and he says, not only to write down what you've seen in the past, but write down what is in the present, both the things that are happening now. Those are things that were happening in A.D. 90 when the Apostle John wrote this letter of Revelation. But there are things happening today in 2020. This is the age of the church. This is the age of grace. And we're going to see this specifically in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 as we study the church and as we study why we are called to be on this earth right now during this time in the last days right before the return of Jesus Christ. And then he says one last thing to write down. Write down the things that will happen. Of course, that last part there, that is future tense. What is going to happen in the future? And if you look at the book of Revelation, this is Revelation 4 through Revelation 22. So this is the primary bulk of the book of Revelation. And this is what we'll look at as we study the future. But Here's what I want you to understand as we study the book of Revelation. 
because so often when we study the book of Revelation and when people ask me questions about the book of Revelation, what they're asking is they really want a timeline of Revelation. They want to see how Revelation unfolds and they want to know what happens first and then they want to know what happens last. But you cannot study the book of Revelation that way. It does not unfold in a chronological order. And let me tell you why. I want you to think about our life and I want you to think about your life because your life is bound by time. You have a birth date. You have a date that you were born. You have a date that you will die if you die before Jesus Christ returns. And then there are dates all in between. We live in a linear time. That's why when we show time, we show it on a timeline. And I can tell you things that happened in the past or are happening in the present. I can tell you when World War II happened, I can give you a date. Well, Revelation is not laid out in a linear timeline. And here's why. Most of Revelation, John is given this book in heaven. The Bible says that he is caught up and he goes to heaven and he sees the book of Revelation unfold from heaven. And why that makes it so different from us is because in heaven, heaven is not bound by time. God is eternal. God does not have a birth date. He does not have an end date. And there is nothing in between. He was, he is, and he's still to come. He is an eternal being. And so heaven is eternal. That's why Peter says that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord and a day is like a thousand years. There is no time in heaven. Time is something that we live with now as a curse for our sin. Now there is death and now we grow older and one day we will die. That is a curse. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer, you are an eternal being just like God. And so as we read the book of Revelation and as we see the book of Revelation unfold, I can't tell you exact an order when everything is going to take place. But I can give you a rough outline, just sort of like what we saw here in Revelation 119, so that you can see what is going to take place in the future but you're also going to see what is taking place in the present and so this is going to be important as we lay out revelation and as we study revelation so that you can understand what the word of the lord says and today from revelation one as we unveil jesus christ which the book of revelation is doing for us i want you to see just two very specific things in particular that are very important, not only for your life and mine, but are very important from a biblical perspective as we see the book of Revelation tying the whole Bible together. So I want to go back up in Revelation 1 to verse 7, and I want you to listen to the words that John writes down here in Revelation 7 and 8. The Bible says here, Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Then verse eight says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is and who always was and the one who is still to come, the almighty one. Now, verse seven says there, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven. Now, who is he? Well, of course, we know the one who is coming is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And why that is so important from a biblical perspective is because there is much more in your Bible about the second coming of Jesus Christ than when he came to this earth the first time. Now, there are many prophecies when Jesus Christ came to the first time to this earth, when he came and he was born in Bethlehem as a baby in a manger and he was born of a virgin. There's prophecy after prophecy. But I want you to know that his second coming, there are eight times the number of prophecies about the second coming of Jesus than the first coming. So the Bible talks about his coming over and over and over again. But so does the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told you last week, we're going to look to his words often as we see what he says about his return and about his coming back to this earth for the second time. And right here in verse 7, the Bible says that he comes with the clouds of heaven. The clouds of heaven. Now that word is very important in the Bible if you go back to the Old Testament. Because one of the things you see in the Old Testament is you see this word clouds over and over and over again. And it is always associated with the presence of God. Think about when God was leading the children of Israel in the desert. How did he lead them? He led them by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. When he presented the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, he covered himself. He shrouded himself with a cloud. In the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, there was always a cloud representing God. Why does God cloud himself? Because as humans, if we ever look upon God, we will die because of his glory. So he shrouds himself or he veils himself to be able to be seen. So what is the word of God saying here? When it says he comes on the clouds of heaven, does that mean that Jesus will just float down on a cumulus cloud? No, what this is talking about, this is talking about the presence of God and he must shroud himself because his glory would wipe out everyone on this earth. And that's how Jesus Christ will come. And this is how I know he will come that way. Because he says it himself. In Mark 14, the night before Jesus Christ is to be crucified, Jesus is taken to be tried at the high priest's house, the house of Caiaphas, the reigning high priest in Jerusalem. And at Caiaphas' house, they tried to get witness after witness to come and accuse Jesus of doing something so that they could kill him, crucify him. But they could not find one witness to give testimony against him. So finally, Caiaphas gets tired, and he stands up, and he asks one final question of Jesus. He says, Jesus, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And this is what Jesus says. He says, I am. And soon you will see the Son of Man seated at the place of honor, the right hand of God, coming on the clouds of heaven. The night before he was crucified, then resurrected, Jesus Christ told us that he would come back in glory on the clouds of heaven. And if you are on this earth, and I believe you will, if you believe what I believe about Revelation, you will see him return. And I want you to see how the Bible describes his return and what it will be like. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 7. It says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Listen to what the book of Daniel says. Daniel 7, thousands of years ago, says this about the second coming. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, the Son of Man is how Jesus referred to himself all the time in Scripture. Luke 19.10, he said, The Son of Man comes to seek and to save the lost. That's how Jesus referred to himself. So Daniel sees someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into His presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. One day, The Bible says the whole world will see Jesus Christ return. Even those who pierced him, Caiaphas, and those who tried him that night, verdict they gave was to crucify Jesus. They pierced his hands. They pierced his feet. And I'm going to explain to you in Revelation 19 how that is possible. But they will see the return of Jesus Christ. Now, for me, I believe the return of Jesus Christ is going to take place in two different phases. I believe he will come again and he will reign again on this earth, the true second coming. But I believe before that he will rapture the church. He will come to get his bride. Now, I believe that takes place in a different time period that many people teach the way I was taught growing up. And we're going to look about that in the book of Revelation. But I can't tell you exactly when Jesus Christ is going to return because Jesus himself says that no one knows the day or the hour. But I can tell you why he is coming. Oh, and I want you to see from the word of God why he is coming again. So look back to verse 8, because I just want you to see this in Scripture. Because John says here in Revelation 1.8, I am, this is Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. Now, what I want you to see in this verse right here is those first two words. I am. If you know your Bible, you know those two words. And you've seen those two words before. Because in the Old Testament, if you go back to the Old Testament, these two words, I am, are the words that God used to describe himself. The ancient Hebrews called this the divine name of God. They were so fearful of this name, they wouldn't even pronounce it because they were afraid of mispronouncing it. In the Old Testament, if you see the Lord in all capitals, it is this name. Oftentimes, we refer to this name, we pronounce it either Jehovah or Yahweh, but we're not sure if that's how you pronounce it. But if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, You see how God introduces himself to a man named Moses using this divine name that we see here in Revelation 1.8. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has been wandering in a desert for 40 years as a shepherd. He's on the backside of the Midian desert because of something he had done earlier in his past. You can read about in the book of Genesis. But he is there and he is thinking he is going to die in that desert. But when he gets close to the Mount of Sinai, taking his flock there, just trying to find food, trying to find water, he sees something in the distance. He sees a burning bush. And what's so unusual about this bush is in the desert, when a bush burns, it usually burns up and it goes away very quickly. But this bush was not burning out. 
So he said to himself, I want to go see what it was. And as he got closer, a name from the bush called out to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. And as he got closer, the voice said to him, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. This is what the voice said out of the bush. It said, I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cry for distress. I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says this to Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to Pharaoh and you are going to lead my people out of Egypt into this promised land. And Moses looks around and he thinks, who are you talking to? Who am I that I can do this? And God says, don't worry, I will be with you. And then Moses just asks a question. He says, well, when I go, who am I to tell the people? Who am I to tell them sent me? And he says, tell them that God of their ancestors sent you. And he said, what should I tell them your name is? And this is how God answers. In Exodus 3, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I am has sent you. I am has come down to rescue you. And what the book of Revelation is telling us there in Revelation 1 8 is that I am the Lord Jesus and all of his glory coming on the clouds of heaven is coming to rescue us, to save us. Let me tell you how I know this is true. Because in John 18, Just before Jesus was taken to Caiaphas' house to be tried. The Bible says he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas, along with a battalion of Roman soldiers and other temple guards, come armed to arrest one man praying in a garden. And when they get to the garden, all Jesus does is ask a question. He says, who do you look for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is how Jesus responded. He just simply says, I am. And the Bible says there that the battalion of Roman soldiers and temple guard and everyone present fainted. They fell back to the ground. Eventually they got up and Jesus asked them again, who do you look for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And again, they fall flat on the ground. See, Jesus Christ wasn't arrested. He wasn't tried. He wasn't crucified. He willingly went to the cross because that's the only way that we could be made right with God. And now I am has heard our cry of distress. He has seen our oppression. He knows our suffering. And he is coming down to rescue us. To lead us to a place a land flowing with milk and honey, our promised land, the place that we will live forever. That's why as believers, we are almost home. We are almost in eternity. Living 
that Jesus Christ, our Lord, the great I am. So last week I asked you the question, are you ready? But this week I'll ask you the question. Are those you love? Are those you know, are they ready? Because I'm telling you, one of the purposes you were placed on this earth for in the last days was to make the name of Jesus known. God has placed the church on this earth to live in this present time to make the name Jesus known throughout the whole world so that they can hear, so that they can come to repentance and know Him as Lord. Our family, our friends must hear the name Jesus before He returns. Because when He returns... He will judge all of those who never called His name Lord. Earlier I told you about going to a house church in Southeast Asia and preaching. About a year after going to that house church, I went to another house church. But this one wasn't in Southeast Asia, it was in North Africa. And it was much like that church. The believers there had to meet in homes because they lived in a Muslim context and it was illegal for them to worship in public. So I went to this house church and I did some of the same things I did in Southeast Asia. I just preached the word of God to them and preached hope to them. And this particular morning, it was a Sunday morning, I preached about the second coming of Jesus Christ and I preached about heaven in Revelation 21 and 22 just to encourage our missionaries and the believers there in North Africa. I closed with a quote from the very end of Revelation 22, verse 20. The last words of Jesus in the Bible where he says, Yes, I am coming soon. And then John tags this on the end. He says, Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Right after I close with that verse, one of the missionaries there closed us in prayer. I'll never forget what he prayed because as he prayed, he thanked God for his promises. He thanked God for heaven. And he thanked God that he was coming again. But then he said this at the very end of his prayer. He said, Jesus, please. Don't come soon. He prayed, please wait. Until my people can hear the name Jesus. Because where he lived. Over 99% of the people had never heard the name Jesus. They didn't know the truth of the word of God. That Jesus came to redeem us. To restore us. To reconcile us to God. So he prayed, Lord, wait. Because they've never heard. Well, here's the last thing I want to say. Today you have heard. You have heard the name Jesus. You've heard about the I am. You've heard that he is coming to rescue you. So my only question. 
Do you know him? Maybe right now, wherever you're listening to this, it's as if the voice of God is speaking to you, and that is because he is. This morning, respond to that call. Because there is a verse in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, and it says, to call upon the name of the Lord while he is near. The great implication of that verse is that the Lord will not always be near. So call upon him while he is. And today, if you hear his voice, he is near you. And the reason he is calling you is because he wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants you to know him and to be with him forever in eternity in a place called heaven. The promised land for us as believers. Today, if that is your heart. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today, if you want to call upon the name of the Lord. All I want you to do. Is bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you a prayer to whisper or to speak to God. And this prayer does not save you. All this prayer does is acknowledge that you're calling upon the name of the Lord to save you. Jesus Christ saves you. But to be saved, you must turn from your sins and turn to God and put your faith and your trust in him and give him your life. So this prayer is just your vow, your covenant, your commitment to God. Pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you please save me? Today I turn from my sin. I turn to you. And today I call upon the name of the Lord. I love you. I want to be with you forever. Lord Jesus, I thank you for anyone who prayed that prayer. And I thank you for your word, especially Romans 10, that tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And for those who heard the word of God today, Lord, and responded to that word, I thank you that you have saved them. Lord, I pray that they would know your presence. I pray that they would feel your presence. I pray that they would grow in your knowledge and in your word day by day. And I pray that one day, as we stand around the throne, worshiping the Lamb of God, the great I Am, we would get to worship you together. So Lord, for everyone else who is listening to this message, Lord, let it give them hope and assurance that our Lord God is in control. And that he is coming again. And we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, as we close, I just want to say to you, if you made a decision today, there's a phone number on the screen that you can call and talk to someone about that decision. Or if you're still struggling with that decision, you can call and talk to them and they will explain more of the word of God to you and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. 
But also, if you need prayer or assistance, call that number, and we will help you, and we will pray for you any way that we can. Also, remember, right after this, there's going to be some reflection questions on the screen, and this is just a way to help you just uh, not only go deeper in the book of Revelation, but maybe spend some time with your family just leading them, guiding them through Scripture. So those will be on the screen just to follow up right after the message. And I just want to close by saying thank you, church, for your faithfulness. You have been amazing, not only to give, but to serve. So just thank you for your faithfulness, not just to Northport Baptist Church, but to Jesus Christ. So we'll see you again next week as we go deeper into the Word of God.